Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. And if you know me, you know I love the 20s era. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love drama and thrills, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? You can chat and play with or against others by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Blinds. As always, it's me, Kelly Williams. And Troy McKee And this week, we want you to put on your checkered slip-on vans, your skinny jeans, your studded belts, favorite band tee, and just understand this episode is probably one of our worst episodes of all time. Like, trigger warning at the very, very top of the episode. Yes, and you guys asked for more rotted episodes on the main feed. So, baby, you are getting it today. And we want to thank our Patreon members because they actually voted for this one to be the public episode of the month. And it sure is. Yeah, it was. I would almost say it was a landslide. A landslide win for sure. Very clear. People wanted this one. It was like almost not even a, a, a fair choice. Now, before we dive into all the rot, Troy, I know you made a TikTok about it. I did not watch your TikTok because I wanted to know how was your Drew Barrymore experience? So ironically, the same weekend that I got Drew Barrymore tickets, I got tickets to The View. Like they just so happened to email me this within a day. And it's so crazy. My Drew Barrymore experience, I already like really had loved it. And it was everything that I wanted it to be. And then I went to The View and that experience was so shit that it made me even more happy and more appreciative of Drew. She was... I said on that TikTok that Drew was what you hope she would be times like 20. She didn't at any point turn off being Drew Barrymore. And when that camera turned off, she was Drew Barrymore. 
And she looked every single person that she worked with in the eyes and she knew everybody's name and she had inside jokes with everybody. And they all were like coming up to her and hugging her and putting their arm around her. And she was just so warm and she was, she wanted the audience to feel comfortable so bad. Like she really, you could just tell, like, I was like, God, I can't believe that this girl has been through so much and she's this sweet. She was just so warm. And she, at the end of the show, like she kept telling the audience, like how happy she was that we were there. And she's like, you know, if you guys aren't having fun, then I'm not going to have fun. So I'm always so worried about if the audience is enjoying themselves. And like, she was so funny. And then at the end of the show, after the cameras were off and they finished, she sat down on the ground with the audience on the steps and just talked to us like for a really long time. And she had done two shows, but she still sat and t- on the ground. Like I could like cry. She sat on the ground and talked to us about like finding happiness and like how the, sh- the, the reason that doing the show makes her happy and just like, all of the Drew Barrymore shit that you would expect her to say. And it was just like very, it was really good. It was, a, it was like one of the, the greatest days of my life. I love that so much, but I do have to say, I'm excited to hear why the view was so bad. <laughs> I buried the lead. Okay, well, so I went to the view with my friend Zach, who was like, his, he and his husband are obsessed with Buffy. They are obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar. They do content about it. Zach gets dolls made of her. I mean, like, it is his life, is Buffy. And so we get to the view. We didn't know who the person was going to be before we got there. And I was the one that signed up for the ticket. So I felt, basically, we got there and we found out that our taping was going to be a senator, which, like, okay, cool. And then the taping the following day was Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh. So... It was really devastating to find that out in line. And I could tell, I was like, fuck. But there's no way that we could have known. And I was just like, God, if I had chosen one day, like whatever, we would have been able to see her. But they were just really like cold. And you could tell that it was a real, like, we get in, we do our first 15, we do our break, we do our 10, we do our 25, and then we go home. And we do this every day for 30 years. And then... You know, it was just really like wham, bam, 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 get in, get out. They barely talked to the audience. Every time they interacted off camera, they would go in a huddle off the stage that we couldn't like see them. And like weird. Yeah, they were very uptight, I'll say. So it was just like a real it was like a gangbang. I was like, okay, like leave a 20 on the, the, the nightstand and I guess bye. Like that's what it felt like. You know what I mean? It was just like they hit it and quit it. And then we left. And and then after the show was over, they left. They didn't say bye. And they were like, OK, we're going to use you guys since you're here to test our Zoom audio. Oh, so they had to sit there for like 30 minutes while they did audio stuff as if this isn't free. I was like, I'm leaving. Let me out of ABC. I'm going home with my free children's book. Thanks. I'm sorry you had a terrible time at The View. But I don't know if I'll ever get over you saying the view feels like a gangbang. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was like hit it and quit it. Like we were like cattle. They're like, get in, sit down. Bop, 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 bop. See ya. Don't get up yet. We need to test sound. Bye. Get out. Here's the children's book. As Drew Barrymore is like laying on the ground with us and like rubbing our hair. You know what I mean? It was just polar opposite experiences. But it just made Drew even better. Well, good to know for anyone who wanted to go to the view. 
Yes. And, and if you are going to be in New York, get Drew Barrymore tickets. Go do it. They're easy to get. Go. Like, it is worth it. She's amazing. Now, another big pop culture thing that happened this week was Kylie wearing the lion outfit to the Paris uh, fashion show. Guys, please bear with me. I'm on a lot of cough medicine. Oh, yeah. Kelly's sick. Going into that, I just have to say I woke up out of a NyQuil haze and I thought it was real at first. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's why she announced her baby's name. Because she's wearing a fucking lion's head. (laughs) A lot of people thought it was real. Now that I know how it was crafted and stuff and like Pete is okay with it. There's still like a gross part of it to me. Like it's very, to me, it is glorifying trophy hunting. Mm -hmm. And Pete is like, no, it's showing that you can wear animals in a humane way. And, you know, it can be vegan and all this stuff. So I do see both sides to it. But seeing like her and Doja Cat sitting next to each other, all I could think about was the capital for Hunger Games. It was very that. It was just that. And I was like, maybe we should eat the rich. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Controversial opinion. I liked it. I just liked it. I thought it was cool. Um, Of course, when I the first second that I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, Kylie Jenner has a fucking animal's skull on her. Like, I, I literally like my breath was taken away. But like you said, when I saw how it was created and like the craftsmanship, it was all hand done, hand carved. Like it is such a beautiful like couture piece of work. And to me, it's just camp. Like if especially the other one, it was like a like a it wasn't a tiger. It was like a snow leopard. Yeah. And then the she wolf. Yeah. It looked like a Flintstones rug. Like to me, it was like camp, like high camp, but like done really 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 well and i just i thought it was really cool i also think doja cat is the future of fashion i'm just gonna say that right now she's giving me like early lady gaga which i really really like that's a great comparison it's like she averts the male gaze and she dresses for like the girls and the gays the (laughs) g-a-y-s you know what i mean it's like she's a sexy pop star like you said like gaga who doesn't dress to appeal to straight men who don't give a fuck about her music anyway. And one thing I love about her, she's very like weird Mm -hmm. and her Instagram lives and stuff. She's just so much herself and such a fucking weirdo, which makes me like her more. Yeah, I know. I I was very, it was an exciting fashion like weekend. It was just fun. Yeah. And I do go back and forth with the, with the animal headdress there. Like I said, there is the part of me that's like, why do we need to do this? Right. But it is done sustainably vegan. I get that too. Yeah. And if Pete is okay with it, I mean, they're not okay with fucking anything. Yeah. And I I actually agreed with their point of like, look how detailed you can make something. You really do not have to wear real fur. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming, I'm coming around to it. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. I will say last night, seeing Paris Hilton announce that, is it a pregnancy or that her surrogate had a baby? I think right now is just the announcement of a baby and we don't have any of the logistics okay okay maybe i shouldn't have said that that was my bad no i think a lot of people are probably wondering that's okay yeah um shocking yeah absolutely shocked like the last thing i was expecting to see i texted zach last night i was like i hope that she names the kid something really like the way she names her dogs like i hope her kid's name is like harajuku betch hilton the third loves it (laughs) I think if it's a boy, they'll name him London. Mm. 
Okay, yeah. I could see that. I could see Paris doing another, like, either way, the per- the this child will have a, like, a Hollywood name. Like, they'll yeah. have a name that is meant for them to be famous. And that baby will be famous immediately. I mean, it already is. Yeah, so, yeah. Their hand is already very famous. One thing I also feel like we have to talk about is the Dubai of it all this weekend. Whenever Dubai is mentioned in the news, people always tell us for obvious reason. And Dubai um, really had the best week ever. And it's wild. Like there are so many conversations happening around Dubai. I think it, we, you and I talked about this when it was announced that the Real Housewives of Dubai was going to premiere. Feels like this is becoming very mainstream. And, you know, people are very aware of what happens in Dubai now that it's trickled down to like D-list reality stars and influencers. People know what's going on in Dubai. So people get suspicious anytime anything is happening there because they're like, what is it tied to? I don't know. What do you think about the Dubai stuff happening right now? I think it's so bizarre. I don't really know how else to explain it. It's almost like a new Miami or a new LA or something like that. I was side-eyeing, even Cheyenne from Teen Mom OG spent New Year's there. And I was like, what are you doing in Dubai? Right. Like, how is an MTV star in Dubai? Likely it's all paid for. Right. But I just, they've been doing that Dubai push since they did the fake Zac Efron and Jessica Alba movie that we thought was real for a second. Oh God, that feels like so long ago. That's crazy. That's weird that we were recording this show when that was... A thing because that feels well, like yeah and it was just before the real housewives of dubai yeah. so i'm kind of curious you know it's been what a year and a half since we started recording the recording this give or take a few months right what's dubai going to be in another year and a half i know i also oh i wanted to mention so we got a dm from someone her name is miss double bay and she sent this magazine article I don't know what the magazine is, though, but it was basically like an, an, an it's basically an article about what goes down in Dubai and how all these influencers keep showing up in Dubai and how it has interesting ties. And yeah, it just feels and that's an Australian article. So people all over the world are talking about the focus on Dubai right now. I will say that. I don't think everybody, I think you're allowed to go to Dubai and not be there for sinister reasons. I think that yes, you know, Dubai is a, is a metropolis. It's a beautiful, wealthy, gorgeous place that people like to vacation. People own businesses. Like people go to Dubai for reasons that are not, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I think every person who steps foot in Dubai is like being shit on by a, a prince. You know what I mean? Like, I think people have other reasons to go there, but it is undeniable that a lot of, you know, seedy shit goes down there. And what do you think of Beyonce performing? I believe she got $24 million for her Mm. performance. I think that it's insane when people are shocked that billionaires want more money. Agreed. That's pretty much this idea that Beyonce and Jay-Z and people like that are going to be relatable to you. Even if you like, even if you feel like Beyonce is being like personal in an album or something, you, you can't relate to Beyonce girl, no matter what you do or say or where, 
you could be from Houston. It doesn't matter. Beyonce is on a different level. She's a corporation. She's like a, a big giant billion dollar business and she likes to make money. And I know a lot of people were saying like, well, it's a place where LGBTQ people are, you know, tormented and women don't have rights and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I don't think Beyonce gives a fuck about that. I hate to break it to you. Sorry. I don't think she cares. Sorry. Hate to hurt, hate to hurt your feelings, gals. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Oh, and that set list she played was so wild. Absolutely. Now let's just talk for a second about the fuck. I mean. The set list. Absolutely spectacular a goddess walking amongst earth earthlings not human amazing the runs that she did for drunken love at the beginning that are now viral on tiktok i've never heard anything like it listen i watched that concert from across a lake on a live stream on tiktok and i'm not gonna (laughs) apologize for it literally from like a shaky phone a person scared to death for their life that they're filming it and I thank them. Yeah. <laughs> we all thank you for your services, girl. I also wanted to mention, there's not really much to say about it, but TMZ reported earlier this afternoon that Britney's, in quotes, concerned fans sent the police to her home for a wellness check because she deleted her Instagram. And this is just so out of control now. Like, I am so far... I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of this whatsoever. And I feel bad for anybody like asking what's going on. Cause I don't know. And I just know that this is fucking nuts. And what I know for sure is that it feels like a lot of people are like intensely invested in this now who never had interest in it. And now it's their favorite law and order episode. So yeah. they're really getting off on it. And I don't know how many, I would imagine a lot of those people that did the wellness check for Britney were concerned, but I also think a lot of them are just sickly fascinated and people need to get a fucking grip. Now, I mean, going to that, do you think that this is almost like when people call for Aaron Carter in a way, you know, but I guess Britney isn't going on Instagram lives. Yeah. And she's not like walking in her yard with like machine guns and shit. You know what I mean? Like if her simply deleting her account which she does all the time and then comes back concerns you that much I don't know like but the thing is it's like it's hard because I do understand the concern because Mm -hmm. something's obviously wrong and people do have every right to be concerned I just think for one thing on TikTok it feels like a lot of people blow stuff out of proportion on purpose because it gets them views Mm -hmm. and I hate that people can't see past that you have to look at these, I'm not trying to be a dick, but a lot of these people who seem very bored and like excited to have like this new thing that they're like known for on the internet, they're trying to start podcasts and all this stuff, you know, as Britney detectives, I don't think that that's right. Like you're feeding into something really, really, really not helpful. And it's exactly 2007 again. Like, what is the difference? The difference is everyone can hide behind. Well, I supported Free Britney. Mm-hmm. And That's, hide behind their phones. Mm-hmm. Like, before, we could hide behind, like, TMZ and Prez Hilton. Like, that's not us doing that. It's them doing it. And we're just watching. But now we're doing it. You know what I mean? Like, 
we are actively as people trying to get inside her house and shit. I don't know. I just think it's really, it's just scary. The whole thing is scary. I'm concerned for her and I'm just scared. I don't think Britney, and I'm a Britney fan, you know, but I am obviously not like a Britney fan, like how you are. Right. I don't think Britney owes an explanation to people of what she's going through, but do you think it would be beneficial to her if she did put out some kind of statement or if there was an official statement just to shut people up. Yeah. I think that when it comes to Brittany, a lot of the reason that things get tend to get so out of control is because Brittany doesn't often, I would, I guess I won't say defend herself, but like she leaves a lot up for interpretation Mm -hmm. and people really like they will really take their interpretations and like run with it hardcore. So I think that if she was more active in the conversation, you know, for sure, I think it wouldn't be as crazy. But at the same time, like you said, I don't think she owes it to the world to constantly be doing that. You know, I don't know. It's really it's really difficult. Yeah, I don't know what else to add other than I do think if she was to be like, hey, guys, I'm okay," Mm -hmm. You know, I'm obviously she doesn't need to talk about the medication she's on or whatever. But I do think even if she was like, Hey guys, I'm actually okay. People would be like, she's not even posting on Instagram. Right. So it doesn't, it wouldn't matter that much. It doesn't matter what she does. If she deletes Instagram, she's crazy. And it's scary. If she's posting, it's crazy. And she's scary. If she makes a statement, it's not her. If she doesn't make one, they're not letting her speak. You know, if she posts herself doing anything, people interpret it as her being unstable, even if it's her just like dancing. And then if she does do something vulnerable, like cry on her Instagram, people make fun of her. So I just don't know what people want at this point. Now we're going to get into some fun stuff before we get into like the true gross stuff. Troy, who are some of your favorite emo bands, emo songs? I want to hear about your Warped Tour experience. Okay. So I wrote down, I went through my phone and wrote down the ones that have traveled with me through life. These are the people that I used to go travel all over the place to try and find. And I would stalk these bands and I had pins and all the things. So I loved Bayside. That was my number one. Would always go to a Bayside show. Um, The sounds. I loved the Hot Hot Heat. Had Automatica, MSI. I loved Modest Mouse. Motion City Soundtrack. The Academy is... Death Cab was, still is major for me, um, which also means the Postal Service as well. And Panic at the Disco and Fall Out Boy and Bright Eyes and the format. I could go on and on for days. I love emo music. What about you? Spill Canvas is probably my number one. Mm-hmm. Dashboard Confessional, Jimmy Eat World, Taking Back Sunday, Mayday Parade, Mariana's Trench. Senses Fail, Paramore, Reliant K, Fall Out Boy, Boys Like Girls, The Academy Is, and I would say the format would probably be, be the one to wrap them all up. Yeah, yeah, And I liked Yellow Card a lot. Oh, yes. I love Yellow Card. Yeah. For me, I found Dashboard Confessional from their MTV Unplugged when I was in fifth grade. And I was like, what is this music? Right. Because I only knew Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears. Like, I didn't know what... A man with a guitar sounded like. Yeah, and like and, fifth grade is kind of when you start finding your own music too. And I was 
obsessed and I still am obsessed with dashboard. They're probably like up there with Kelly Clarkson at this point. Right. But warp tour for me, my mom only let me go once because when she picked me up, I was just like, mom, everyone was fighting. I was scared. I think I was like 13 or 14. Right. That makes sense. And it was just me and a bunch of my girlfriends who went and one of them got kicked in the stomach in a mosh pit. We shouldn't have been that close. I know, but it was just like, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. So, but I've gone to a lot of different emo concerts. So I only had one warp tour experience, I guess. My friends would always go, but I was kind of, you know, after seeing people get kicked and punched, I realized it's not for me. Yeah. I look back and I'm like, how did I ever want to do that? Like, (laughs) it feels so like, I don't even know who that person is that would go to a daytime festival, a hundred degrees, body asphalt, on asphalt and dirt. Yeah. no water, no food. People like selling $20 water bottles outside because we're all having heat exhaustion. Drunk teenagers. Just disgusting. Filthy, gross. But I loved it. <laughs> I loved the filth. And that's fair. I mean, like I said, if I didn't complain to my mom, I probably would have gone again. I just wasn't allowed. Yeah, I get that. If my mom knew what was going on there, she probably wouldn't have let me go. But she she was none the wiser. <laughs> none the wiser. Going to a concert mother with like water bottles full of like rum and gin and tequila. Now, I, on Nostalgia Now, I did have the lead singer of Spill Canvas on. And we talked a bit about Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. And he said that it was very clicky. And he was basically like, we weren't the cool ones. So no one hung out with us. And it was very clear where you stood in the warp tour world. And as I looked into this, as I did like the research for this episode, it's very clear which bands brand new were protected by these giant organizations like warp tour. Right. Yeah. It's weird to think about that because it felt so at the time it was like, so like these are just bands that are friends and they're all hanging out. It was very like, it felt mom and pop, but like you didn't think about that there was like a big corporation behind it, obviously, because we we're like kids. And I think that's what made Warp Tour so special. In everyone's mind, it was these bands that you found on MySpace, these yeah. bands that you were able to DM and you were able to get to know, as you'll find out later in the episode. <laughs> right. You became like, quote unquote, friends and you were a part of them becoming these big stars. Mm. So there was all that added emotion that was put on these 13, 14, 15 year olds because, you know, we're the ones streaming your music. We're the ones putting you on our MySpace. So guess what? Simple plan. We're a part of you now. Yeah, I agree with that. And especially the bands like, you know, like the ones like the Academy is and stuff where it felt like those weren't necessarily bands that were being played on like MTV. Mm-hmm. So they had to make a little bit more effort to support them, which made you even more invested. It wasn't like, you know, seeing them at the VMAs and stuff. Like they weren't that level of famous. So you really did feel connected because you were like, they need me. Yeah, I still feel that way about like Spill Canvas and even Dashboard Confessional who's a huge fucking band. Yeah, agreed. I'm like, no, they're they're mine. Right. I invented them. <laughs> exactly. Like if someone came up to you, Troy, and they were like, Bayside's my favorite band, you'd be like, how do you know Bayside? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though they were literally famous. It's just, it doesn't feel like it in your head. 
Now, obviously, there's been a lot of things that have come out about Warp Tour. For me, I will say, and the, just so everybody knows, I guess I should say it now, everything from here on out is alleged in a way, but a lot of it has been confirmed, and we'll talk about that as we go. But my first eye-opening thing with Warp Tour and kind of all the allegations that came out was brand new. That band, and we'll talk about that later in the episode, but were you super aware of how these, a lot of emo bands were allegedly like grooming people and all of that. Is that something you were familiar with before it became more public? Well, yeah, but it's one of those things that I had to like look back on and realize that it was grooming because I like, you know, as a teenager, you think that you're like an adult. Right. So like when I look back on my friends hooking up with these bands at the time, I was like, oh, cool. Like, you're hooking up with so-and-so from so-and-so. Like, I just thought it was cool. And then when it all started coming out, I was like, oh yeah, that was, we were 15. Like, I really had to reprogram my brain to be like, oh, that was all really fucked up. And that's something I want to say is with a lot of these allegations, they did come out later when these people were older. But that's, again, because your brain realizes, oh, maybe a 15-year-old shouldn't be hooking up with a 23-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like an automatic thing when you realize it's happening. Yeah. And you also don't realize how like immature you are and how, I mean, the thought of like being around like a 15 year old kid, like is it's like a child child, you know? And I think the thing about Warp Tour is everyone was dropped off by their parents. Not many parents went to Warp Tour. It was lawless. And it was known that all the teenagers were like inebriated, whether it was drugs or alcohol at the time. I don't know, like in my, like where I grew up, drugs weren't, we were drinkers, like Mm -hmm. teenagers drank. We weren't really like into drugs as much. So it was like, you know, 14, 15 year old kids having heat stroke from only drinking whiskey in the blazing hot sun for five hours, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just okay. Like the security knew it was that that was happening. Everybody knew that the teenagers were just wasted. So we're going to open this with a quote from a Warp Tour veteran. He did not disclose himself, but the quote is, and this is again to set the tone for the episode, guys. The difference between de facto pedophilia, where artists are going after attractive people who happen to be underage, in proper pedophilia, where they're preying on children because they're children, if you're 20 and into a girl who's 16, she asks, quote, are you into her because she's 16? Is it her youth that attracts you? I don't think so. Eek. God, it's so dark. And the creator of Warp Tour did a big interview about it, and he continued to say, it's not Warp Tour's problem that so many sexual assaults happened from bands on Warp Tour because it didn't happen during Warp Tour. That's what he kept saying. He's like, there's no proof you can say it happened on Warp Tour grounds. It could happen on a tour bus after Warp Tour, but it didn't happen during Warp Tour. You know, Jesus Christ, I can't. Why? Because there's nowhere to have sex publicly at Warp Tour? The porta potties aren't a great place to have sex. So you have sex in the tour bus after Warp Tour. Uh, hello, yeah. And he also said basically, you know, when they got caught, they weren't invited back. But it's like, how many times did that have to happen before they got caught? Exactly. Like, 
I also feel like it's important to mention too that the context of like teen culture during the time was very dark. Like mm-hmm. teen culture was like it was it was I don't know it was almost like we fetishized depression, suicidal thoughts, pills, cutting, addiction, things like that were like in a weird way considered really cool. Like you would go to warp tour wearing like razor blade shirts and like all yeah. of the lyrics that we were singing were about wanting to kill yourself and all of that stuff. It was a real, you know, it was a really sort of dark t- time just generally. And my space was also really dark too. So warp tour to me and all my friends felt like this big like coming together of all of our MySpace culture throughout the year. And it was as dark, I guess, as you would expect it to be based on what we were listening to and stuff. And what's interesting is Warp Tour would always have charities. They'd always put charities at the forefront. They'd be like, well, we're raising money for breast cancer to write love on our arms. We're raising money for this and that. So you also thought you were like helping people. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, it's just a lot of this stuff did happen online and go way over into the Warp Tour culture mm-hmm. and all the people who are involved in Warp Tour. I do want to say I did exclude Jeffree Star because obviously he was a big part of my space, Warp Tour. But if we ever do an episode on him, I think it deserves to just be on him. Yeah. And then I didn't put any Fallout Boy in here because they can have their own episode. I was kind of even thinking like Pete Wentz and Travis Barker type of episode. Oh, yes. That'd be good. So I found this spreadsheet and this is going to be a lot to hear. But it's all the sexual assault allegations against emo bands as of 2020. This is credit to the Reddit Pop Punkers. And that's Reddit slash Pop Punkers. They have an entire sheet. I did cherry pick just a few. But if you want the full list, all you have to do is Google emo band sexual assault allegations. And it's the first link on Google. Again, I want to give full credit to the Reddit Pop Punkers for putting this together. I removed probably about a hundred claims, but this, this is super eye-opening. The first one listed, I would say might be one of the more famous ones. And we're going to talk about them later in the episode. Cause as the episode goes, guys, we get worse. So the first one being Jesse Lacey of brand new, why statutory rape, his response, he blamed it on sex addiction And then we have Mike Fuentes from Pierce the Veil. Why? Statutory rape and grooming. And all of this is alleged, by the way. Some of this has been confirmed true, but not all of it. But the response for him was he left the band but came back. Additional info, he's still in the band. Johnny Craig from Dance Gavin Dance. Why? Allegedly rape, abuse, and scamming people for money. The response, he was kicked out, but he's still releasing solo music. There's also Morgan Perriott from Call Me Charisma. It says rape, assault, statutory rape, pedophilia, and sharing fans' nudes. Oof. And then the response, I guess they threatened to sue the accusers. Like, what? That's something that you'll see a lot in this. Kenny Harris, which I wasn't even aware of this from Panic at the Disco, Sexual assault and pedophilia. He was kicked out of the band. Also, Zach Hall from Panic at the Disco got nudes from minors, made it into the, his wallpaper. 
sexualized fans and sexually harassed a bandmate's wife. Whoa. So then allegedly simple plan as a whole band, they were accused of a competition of who could sleep with the youngest fan. The source is confidential. Nothing came of it. Um, I did look more on Reddit. I couldn't really find anything else, but it made the spreadsheet. Cage the Elephant as a whole band allegedly were caught making out with 15-year-olds in their dressing room. Nothing, still touring. Oliver Sykes from Bring Me the Horizon physically abused his ex-wife. Nothing happened. Josh Woodward, a day to remember. Sex with minors, nothing. Then, of course, there's Joel Madden, who you may be aware of, from a band called Good Charlotte. Um, He was accused of statutory rape. I think we all know why. Nothing ever happened. Dan Clermont from Set It Off was accused of assault, got kicked out. Austin Kerr, also from Set It Off, was accused of sexual assault and was kicked out. Kevin Ghost McClough from Ghost Town was accused of statutory rape and also nothing happened. Just going back to Austin, he actually tried to raise money to sue the accuser. Oh, my God. So one thing, and we're going to talk about this at the very end, is these fan bases, in my opinion, were the first stands. Emo bands had the first Swifties, Beliebers, whatever. Mm -hmm. Because, again, these fans were thought to have or were thinking that they made these people famous. So now I have a stronger attachment to you. That's so true. And it's like even double because like boys could publicly participate in it and not be embarrassed. So they could be stands. Mm-hmm. No different than an Ariana stand or a Miley stand, but they're cool because it's a band, you know? Right. Bart Thompson from Mom Jeans slash Graduating Life. Mental abuse. He was He made a statement and was kicked out. Sam Pat from Belmont. He was accused of emotional and mental abuse. He made a statement on a personal account and is still in the band. And then we have three members from the band Nothing But Thieves, Dominic Craig, Connor Mason, and James Price. They were accused of sexual assault, flirting with minors, taking advantage of fans, and sharing fans' nudes. And it says they released a statement, but I'm assuming nothing happened to them. Also, LIFT accused of groping fans and sending unsolicited nudes. They ended up changing their name to Death Method and they were kicked off the SIO tour and Sad Summerfest because of it. Whoa. Melanie Martinez was accused of rape and released a statement, was accused by a friend. And this is wild. Kane Avery of Tame Impala, physical and emotional abuse and nothing happened. So Ian... Watkins of the Lost Prophets is the last person we talk about in the whole episode. He's probably one of the most disgusting people I've ever looked up. He was accused of pedophilia. And this is the biggest trigger warning I can, of a child of one year old, one years old, and bestiality. He's in prison, which is great. So he was, you know. My God. Graham Rowell. From the band Camino was soliciting nudes from fans. He was kicked out. Daniel Jorgensen from Owl City had, quote, allegedly had sexual contact with minors. He was kicked out and charged with criminal sexual contact. Jacob Hoggard from Headley was accused of sexual assault. He put his ban on indefinite hiatus and he was charged. 
with sexual assault. So obviously, Kelly mentioned earlier that we are going to do a whole Jeffree Star episode because a lot of you are going to be wondering, like, I'm sure if we're doing the entire blood on the dance floor, all of that stuff. And of course, there's stuff mentioned about it. But that is a story that, I mean, it took over 10 years to play out. And that is a lot to talk about. And I just think that there are a lot of people involved in that that deserve a actual full conversation and not a blurb in an episode because there's like a lot of people that have been really brave and like come forward about all of that stuff and Jeffrey's involvement and all of that. So it's going to happen and we're going to talk about it a little bit, but like it'll have its moment. And then of course, tied to that is Jeffrey who was during the process of that whole blood on the dance for a moment was accused of groping uh, sleeping men recording extremely drunk men, having sex with him, groping strangers at Warped Tour, of course, being a racist, you know, violently attacking women, throwing bottles at people, screaming the N-word. You know, Jeffrey really leaned in and has been so back and forth about his involvement, what he knew, what he didn't know. He was friends with the band and was helping get young people in there, but then not. So that's going to be interesting to talk about. And I will say Warp Tour did try and make the environment there better. You know, they stopped allowing mosh pits. They stopped that wall of death that would happen right at the barricades. Yeah. But then people were complaining, saying Warp Tour soft now. And it's like, they just don't want people to get like assaulted all the time. Right. And it's not, you know, 2004 anymore. They can't have drunk 14-year-olds staggering around, passing out, pissing themselves in a public space that they are, you know, responsible for, you know? Like, you can't just do that anymore when people have cell phones. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with internet's best converting checkouts. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% off all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash blinds, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash blinds now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash blinds. And there was another quote that I found from the Warp Tour Insider as we get into this, but he did say sexual assault is part of the culture at Warp Tour. That is a quote from that, whoever that anonymous man was. 
Wow. So how do you change that? That's crazy to just boldly say, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And as a teenager, you're thinking hookups are a part of Warped Tour. Because that's how you're interpreting it. That's how we interpreted it, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I can't say that at 15, if one of my favorite singers came up to me and was like, hey, do you want to come back to a tour bus? I know I probably wouldn't say no. Absolutely. So I don't blame the 15 year olds. I really don't. And I'll put that out there right now. Not at all. It was such a flex to be able to, you know, go to high school the next day and be like, hey, guess what? I slept with somebody from whatever band, like, you know, we thought, I mean, we thought it was so cool. Like, I remember just thinking, I cannot believe that you are so lucky that you get to hook up with this person, you know, whoever, like, it's just sick. Now we are starting with Paramore and I know everyone's nervous, but we said we're starting light. And this is the only blind item that I could find about Haley Williams. This singer pretended for years that she and one of her colleagues were quote, just friends. But that was a lie. They were a couple in her intimate relationship with him created a lot of stress on the job. At any given point, one or the other was always threatening to quit. He walked, she married another guy. Then he came back into her life and now she's getting a divorce. Coincidence? Ha, not that she'll tell the truth about it. So this is from Blind Gossip and it's saying Haley Williams. And of course she was divorcing Chad at the time. But I rarely see a blind item kind of going back on what they said and kind of apologizing. Right. So they say, update, a few years ago, your friends at Blind Gossip told you about the messiness known as Haley Williams and Paramore. Since 2004, the band has consisted of Williams and seven different guys who came and went when they got fed up with her. Haley Williams just gave an interview to The Guardian in anticipation of the release of her new album, Petals for Armor. While our blind item was focused on her personal relationship, it turns out there was a lot more messiness going on behind the scenes. Williams says she was depressed and she developed an alcohol problem. An eating disorder dropped her weight to 91 pounds and she was suicidal. So this is from the Guardian article. Williams is now 31 and all of five foot one tall. Sitting in a London hotel room, pastel tie-dye leggings breaking up her black attire, she lets out a delighted and mortified howl as I read the carding entry from her old live journal and relate it to how she continued to ride out her pain. So basically during this article, which I suggest everyone take a read if you're a Haley fan, she talks about the divorce and how terrible Chad was to her. She says she should have never married him. She doesn't go into like great detail about it or anything, but it's very clear that the relationship was just really, really fucking bad for her. She's one of those people that it's really painful to picture somebody hurting her. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't like that. Like hearing that she like got sickly and oh, that's just so sad. So everything from this point is from thethings.com. And this starts in 2010. The year after the release of their 2009 album, Brand New Eyes, Paramore revealed in a since deleted blog spot on their official site that founding members Josh and Zach Farrow were leaving the band. Haley Williams, Jeremy Davis, and Taylor York had expected this departure. And then this is a quote. None of us were really shocked. For the last year, it hasn't seemed as if they wanted to be around anymore. 
we want Josh and Zach to do something that makes them happy. And if that isn't here with us, then we support them finding happiness elsewhere. We never for a second thought about leaving any of this behind. We really hope that you can be encouraged by the fact that the three of us who are still here and are ready to take on another chapter of our journey together. The statement continued, you've always been what keeps us going, so why would we stop now? We want to stick by you, knowing that we have a unified passion and a clear vision makes us feel stronger than ever. So Josh ends up firing back because he's pissed. Basically, they did not even ask him to put if he, they could put out a statement. But I'm like, but you quit. So like, so he confirmed the rumors that he and Haley had dated, claiming that after their breakup, quote, things started going downhill for the band. Because remember, it's always the woman's fault. If you guys haven't realized that yet, I hope you know that now. He claims that Haley released a statement without any permission. He went to call Paramore a manufactured product of a major label and accused Williams of being manipulated by her management team. And the remaining bandmates were simply riding on the coattails of Haley's dream. He also went on to say that like the team would tell, you know, the band, Hey, be in the lobby at 12, but Haley wouldn't show up till three or just like weird different timing things. Mm-hmm. And he also said Haley's dad was ruining everything. Weird. That's the thing about Paramore that's so unique is like they did. I mean, I guess it's for the same for a lot of those bands is like they started off feeling like we said earlier, really like kind of confined. Like maybe if you got like a song of the sun, like I remember learning about Paramore because I got a, a CD from Urban Outfitters that they put in my bag when I was like a sophomore in high school, it was like a CD that had a bunch of random music on it. And it was the first time I had ever heard Haley. And that was like kind of how you would discover music in random ways like that. So it, when a band like Paramore would then transcend and become like MTV stars, it was wild. I remember finding them because my friend, Steph Lawson, she had them as their, my, her MySpace song. And I was like, what is this? Like, what is misery business or whatever? And then she played me crush, crush, crush. And I was like, I love them. Yeah. It was like an instant. Oh, I could go on about Haley for hours. Go ahead. How about we give Haley a moment? Because in that guardian article, which I can link on our Patreon and I'll put it in our Instagram story as well. She talks about how hard it was being like a 16 and 17 year old girl on warp tour and basically being told no we're allowed to actually grope you like you you can't tell us no just because like yeah she said the way she was treated almost made her quit music oh that makes my stomach hurt god damn it i i will tell you that one of the most enjoyable internet moments that i've had in a really long time was i want to say it was like earlier it was last year when everybody on the all every black person on the internet realized that we all love paramore together Mm -hmm. and for the same reasons like because Haley is she's first of all a southern like mississippi gospel singer and she sings her music like a soul singer doing emo music and it's so cool like she does riffs and runs and you know she's like giving like she's giving christina but like you know doing it to um to like pop punk music and she's just such a sweet magnetic person i just like i just forever inspired by her 
I listened to her solo music for the first time yesterday. Incredible. Her, it's amazing. Her fucking voice is like unreal. And I believe the song's crystal clear. That's about her and Chad. Yeah. If anyone wants to revisit. God. So in 2015, Paramore's official Facebook page revealed that Jeremy Davis was leaving. They revealed that the departure was really painful. They didn't give any more details. They were hopeful for Paramore's future and also excited to see what Jeremy's going to do. And then in February 2016, Davis filed a lawsuit against his former bandmates. The suit was settled, but nobody knows how much he made from that. And it has come out that Haley and Taylor York are now dating. Interesting. And going back to Josh Farrow, Zach is back with Paramore, I believe. Yeah. And Josh came out as super anti-LGBTQ+. Right. Like super hateful. And so much so that his brother was like, I don't even fucking talk to him anymore. (laughs) His brother said, fuck him. Who, Who? Yeah, he's like, I'm in Paramore again, so. Yeah, <laughs> and we have a gay fan base. I don't know if you realize that or not, sir. Hello. Just a weird side note. Almost all these people we talk about ended up moving to Nashville. Oh, yeah. Like Haley. all the newfound glory guys. I used to see them at Walmart. Haley, I don't know if she still does. She lived in Franklin and she had a really cute house. If you guys want to Google like her Franklin home, it's mm-hmm. really cute. But yeah, even the guys from Brand New live in East Nashville. The guitarist from like All American Rejects lives in Nashville. Taking Back Sunday, some of them live in Nashville. It's so weird. All the all the boys like girls live in Nashville. Now that you're saying that though, it kind of almost doesn't feel weird because- Songwriting, right? Songwriting. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like after the emo moment, like folk was True. like such a natural place to go. You know, they all just became hipster folk singers it's just so funny like they all just became the same exact other thing that's true yeah you know? now we're jumping to panic at the disco now i will tell you as far as all the bands on this list panic at the disco was one that i was deeply emotion like emotionally invested in when they were at the very beginning of them becoming famous and i remember they were known as like fallout boys like little cousin band mm-hmm. it was like they kind of sound like Fall Out Boy, but they're a little bit more eccentric and a little bit more like, I don't know, like almost camp. You know what I mean? And I was, when we used to travel around and follow Panic around, I was obsessed with them. And it is so weird to have seen a whole 10 years later, another generation of young people. That's like their like teenage band. That is fucking insane to me. Now, what? how did you feel about their first breakup? Because again, they just announced they were breaking up yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Panic at the Disco broke up in like 2010. Right. Brandon just hires touring artists to tour with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made sense to me when they broke up the first time because I was like, this is should be done, correct? Like, yes. this feels like a thing that the, it's a ball and chain at this point. Like, I can't even believe the Panic at the Disco is still making music. Or as of not, I guess not now as of what yesterday. I can't believe Brendan Urie hasn't been completely canceled. I know it's close. Yeah. I know he's like right on the brink. Yeah. 
but I can't believe he's still out there. Yeah, I know. I almost feel like he's just famous enough that he can coast like that. Because unless you know, you know. Right. And nobody's like checking for him, you know? Mm-mm. But that's crazy, though. So to start this off, Zach Hall. And again, everyone, this is alleged. The band's former security guard was accused of pedophilia. As we said at the start of the episode, he would allegedly take screenshots from Snapchat and make like phone cases of just women's breasts, not knowing their age, not getting consent, not getting anything. And then in 2021, former band member Dallin Weeks' wife, Breezy, alleged that she had been subjected to sexual harassment by Zach Hall, the band's um, former security guard, was the guy who allegedly harassed her because people started using the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Brandon Yuri speak up. And I suggest all of you check that out if you are on Twitter, because there are so many tweets about how he has allegedly sexually assaulted women, men, young teenagers, like 17, like eight, like just, it's an insane hashtag to scroll through. That is wild. It's actually really crazy that people don't talk about this more really because he's so like, when you think of him being tied to like Taylor and like, I guess his name is still kicked around enough that this would be brought up. Well, that's when people started tweeting more about him. Because they were like, Taylor Swift, what the fuck are you thinking? Right. And also, Dallin Weeks, he's known he was shot in the hand by Brendan using, or allegedly shot in the hand with a BB gun. Oh, yeah. And yeah. allegedly, Brendan was really abusive to Dallin. Fuck. It's crazy because it's so the opposite of like his, the way he like portrays himself publicly. Oh, he loves people. He loves yeah. kitties. He loves puppies. He just wants everyone to be in love. Yeah, he's just a quirky. He's truly, he's giving adorkable. Like he's trying to come for Zoe Deschanel's bag. I love when you say adorkable. Because uh, I'm the only person still saying it. <laughs> but it fits, it fits exactly what you're saying. You know what I mean? Um, so these are allegations, and this comes from Twitter. The Twitter account user KAM 02709814 wrote, Yuri asked him if he'd ever made out with a guy before. He said, quote, I was kind of startled and I was and I just said I had it. Yuri also allegedly told him that he tried making out with one of his panic at the disco bandmates, but that they wouldn't let him. I was really confused as to why he was even having this sort of conversation with me when I explicitly told him that I was underage. He went on to say that Brandon allegedly touched his thigh, but the Twitter user ended up leaving after feeling uncomfortable. And then this comes from the dailydot.com. Another Twitter user, Leah6205362, whose account has since been deleted, said that when she was 15 in 2011, she was asked to go backstage at a Panic at the Disco concert in Cleveland. She says that she was alone at the time because her friend had already left, and she was under the impression that the person who approached her to go backstage was either an employee or a friend of Yuri's. She said that Yuri was sitting on a couch smiling at her backstage, She said that Yuri explained to her that he had noticed her in the front row of the crowd during the concert and thought she looked beautiful. I didn't mean it like that. Can I not compliment a beautiful girl? She recalls him saying. So this is still from her, still from her account that was deleted. Quote, I remember after a little while of me and him sitting on the couch and talking, he started to feel on my inner thighs, she recounts. He then started to kiss on my neck 
and trying to move his hand to my ass. At this point, I was stunned and couldn't move. But after he tried touching on my vagina, I snapped back and ran out of there. And then this is via pocket news. And this is just another problematic thing that he has done. It's not, it doesn't go along with um, sexual assault, but it is problematic. Yuri's usage of the term, quote, tranny, in a comment about the transgender community has sparked outrage. The phrase is considered transphobic. It's an insult. And in the past, he's made other controversial remarks about the LGBT community. He's also been accused of uttering sexist and slut-shaming remarks. Several Twitch users have also expressed their dissatisfaction with the singer's bullying tactics. He was accused of being racist in 2018. And that's what he did for a while. Like when he wasn't singing, he was huge on Twitch. Yeah, that was like, that was like his income. Right. On Twitch all the time. And there was a viral video that went viral on Twitter, but it's from an older concert. I'm not sure exactly what year it was. And it starts with this. So we don't know exactly what happens. I don't want to say to make him say this because it's never okay to say this, but what started this conversation. Yeah. It said, quote, if I see you after the show, I'm going to fuck you. And I don't care if you want it. I more care if you don't want it. Cause I really want it, dude. I really want it, bro. Oh God. It's like giving Patrick Bateman. I don't even know what the fuck it's giving. I think that I either like forgot about a lot of this stuff with him or I blocked it out because I just don't follow him. But it also doesn't, this stuff doesn't get brought up often. Yeah. Like I never see people really talk about this stuff on like mainstream news. You only really hear it. Like you said on Twitter, this is like Twitter news. Yeah. And this is the last thing for Brendan. And this is from distractify. Yuri calls it quote stage gay. Others call it sexual assault. Apparently, the singer admitted to kissing his former bandmate, Ryan Ross, on the lips and on his neck, despite the fact Ryan said he didn't like it. Lord Jesus, not assaulting people on stage as entertainment. And I think that's something, you know, when you're in the audience, you're like, they're so funny. Mm -hmm. Yes. And also another. So I feel like another thing that we should mention, Brandon perfectly fits into this is like queer baiting was so different back then. Yes. Queer baiting was like not the way that it is now. Like it, it wasn't like Joe Jonas going to the stone wall with his shirt off. It was guys like this on stage, like doing things that it would ignite people to then write like fanfic about it on MySpace or like really stand these alleged guys that might make out. And there was this whole culture of like, girls of boys making out in quotes to make girls turned on it was like a weird thing like we like didn't know what we were dealing with sexually yet and guys like him I feel really took took advantage of that sort of culture yeah I agree even you know wearing the heavy makeup it made it like cool and okay for guys to wear makeup which is great right it's a great form of expression yes but back then it wasn't looked at that way and like boys wearing girls jeans. Yeah, exactly. These weird like gender bendy kind of things that were like safe to do. And it's not gay to make out with boys if you're doing it for a girl because a girl thinks it's hot. You know, like weird shit like that. And just before we wrap it up, I just want to remind everybody the hashtag 
Brendan Yuri speaks up is the hashtag on Twitter. And I believe it was like a guitar tech or something that was like, what about Zach Hall? So mm. we always, or we've talked about it quite a bit, specifically you, Troy, who you're like, well, these people who witness these things should also be held accountable. Right. And what's crazy is for a lot of these bands, it's their guitar techs or their like roadies, I guess. I don't know what else to call them that mm-hmm. come out and they're like, hey, you guys should actually like start talking about what we saw too. Right. I guess it's still putting, but it is putting, you know, the victims forefront of their mind. Right. And it's also, again, I, I like feel like I keep going back to this, but it's like, they're just famous enough that they can be messy like this. You know, they're not real celebrities really. But and they it was, Yeah. And it was during my space. Right. So it's like, going to see the bulletin you posted only your friends. Right. Yeah. And like, if you, if you're lucky, if you have like a grainy Blackberry photo of the person or whatever, you know, like nobody, nobody knew what you did at Warped Tour. That's the thing. Like, I, that's, a, I guess, an important thing to bring up. It was all very anonymous. Like there were no cameras. I mean, we brought like, wrist cameras and shit to post pictures on Facebook or whatever, but like you were, you could do pretty much anything there. Yeah. And even at the tours, I, I don't know why I went to this tour in fifth grade, but I went to the pop punk disaster tour with Green Day and Blink-182. Oh God. I went with my older brother and, you know, like I was in fifth grade and he was just kind of like, sit down, just listen to the music. But, you know, parents are dropping their kids off. And when we get picked up, my mom's like, how was it? I was like, so much fun. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell her what I saw. You're like swirling a gin and tonic in the backseat. My brother has like a thong in his hand. I'm like, it was so fun. I don't know. <laughs> this week's episode is sponsored by Factor. This new year, you've got goals and Factor is here to help you achieve each and every one of them. Save time and have energy you need to tackle everything on your to-do list with Factor's ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you need to do is heat and enjoy. No matter what your lifestyle, Factor has meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and protein plus meals on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready quicker than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. Head to factor75.com slash blind60 and use code blind60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code blind60 at factor75.com slash blind60 to get 60% off your first box. This episode is also sponsored by Modern Fertility. Did you know one out of eight couples struggle with infertility? Seriously, that's a staggering statistic that most people don't know and aren't ready to talk about. But we need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversation about our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. 
Mail it in with a prepared label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. You'll get insights into your hormone levels like ovarian reserve and other important factors that can impact your fertility. The results go deep into what every hormone means and you can also download the result to review with your doctor for next steps. Traditional hormone testing at fertility clinics can cost over $600, but modern fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash blinds, you get 20% off your test. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA slash HSA. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound info about your body can help make the decision right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash blinds. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get 20% off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash blinds. That's modernfertility.com slash blinds. We would also like to remind you that this week's episode is sponsored by Olive and June. I love using Olive and June because I am not a big manicure or pedicure person. It's been a long time since I went to a salon. So being able to do it at home and not worry about being embarrassed about my nail beds or being judged is a real good thing for me. Yeah, I love getting my nails done. I love going to the salon, but it's a hassle. I don't like waiting in there. Sometimes they rip you off. They hurt you. Like sometimes you leave truly feeling battered and bruised. And I like being able to do this at home. It's easy. I like to relax, watch TV, and just like, this is my stress relief now. So with Olive in June, everything you need for a salon quality manicure is in one box. Customize it with your choice of six polishes. And this polish doesn't chip and lasts seven days or more. It also breaks down to be just about $2 for a manicure. It's absolutely crazy how easy it is to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and how they'll look now with this Manny system is night and day. And I can tell you as somebody who can't color within the lines, like, it's true. My nails actually look really good. Now, I do not use press-on nails But some of my friends do, and they've commented how the Olive and June press-ons, they look so real, they last so long, they have so many different sizes, not damaging, and you can do them in 10 minutes or less. Visit oliveandjune.com slash beyondblinds for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash B-E-Y-O-N-D B-L-I-N-D-S for 20% off your first Manny system. Now, were you a fan of Bring Me the Horizon? No, I was not. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, they were a bit hardcore for me. But I know they have like a huge name. So this is from the Nashville scene. And the Nashville scene has a really good article about Warp Tour because it was about the We Are Young Festival. And the girl who wrote it, was like, we can't romanticize Warp Tour. We mm-hmm. cannot romanticize the fact that I was 15 being groped by grown men in a mosh pit. And I don't disagree. I, yeah, I don't disagree either. We need to like have more conversations about Warp Tour before we start romanticizing the good old times because it was not okay what was going on there. And, but there is the part of me that's like, but you're still allowed to like the music. You know, exactly. it's, it's like, 
I know. Yeah. I know. And I wouldn't trade the memories. Like, as fucked up as it all is, like, I had a lot of fun at Warped Tour. But it's interesting, even when you see, like, the influencers who are, like, 22, and they're like, oh, I love the 2000s. I love Juicy Couture. I'm like, you know it was about eating disorders and not Juicy Couture, right? Right. Like, you know, it was about me hating another girl for no reason because Laguna Beach told me I should, right? Right. And, yeah, it wasn't just... Like every girl wasn't walking around like flipping a razor clothes and putting on pink lip gloss. Like that was not an entire 10 years worth of culture. No, some of us were on AIM getting cyberbullied for the first time, learning how to block and then a new screen name popping up. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. Being told to kill yourself. And that's a completely normal thing that you're told as a teenager, you should just deal with because you're choosing to be on the Internet. You could get off that damn computer so much if you don't want them to tell them to tell you to kill yourself. That was the vibe. And again, it's okay to romanticize some things, but you also need to be realistic. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, so that's the Nashville scene article. Um, Again, I can put all these links in our stories, so make sure you're following our Instagram. So this is Bring Me the Horizon. The band singer, Oil Sykes, was arrested in 2007 for allegedly peeing on a woman who turned down his advances after a show. She said a member of the band or their party, it was never established exactly who, also threw a bottle of Jägermeister at her head, resulting in a gash above her eyebrow. Those charges were dropped due to lack of evidence, but Sykes made headlines again in 2016 when his ex-wife, Hannah Pixie Snowden, posted on Instagram that he slapped and spat on her on a number of occasions. In the statement, she wrote, quote, I wasn't the first girl this entire pattern happened to. Sykes has not been charged, and he's still performing with Bring Me the Horizon. And also the fact that a lot of these people weren't famous enough to like cancel because then they could just keep doing their little shows and going to like the House of Blues. Like people could know that this was happening, but then it didn't matter. Because what are you going to do? Take away their sponsorships? They don't have them. They're not like real famous people. And I wonder if even their fans are some aware of this stuff. Because like I'm a big, like I said, Dashboard fan. I love Chris Caraba. Mm-hmm. And I told someone he got into a really bad motorcycle accident and they said they were also a dashboard fan. They were like, he did. So it's like, do you even know that much about these right. bands anyway? Because they're pretty private. Yeah, it's it, a lot of them are not like like our origin with them is not from seeing them on like Instagram live or whatever. We didn't really know anything about these people. No, we just thought that they were hot, cool boys. And then this is in reference to the band Pierce the Veil. This is from the Nashville scene. Were you a fan of this band? No, again, a little too hardcore for me. I really liked the sad, sad songs. I liked the sad cry songs. (laughs) In 2017, drummer Mike Fuentes left the band after one woman accused him of statutory rape and another alleged he solicited nude pictures from her when she was a minor. Both incidents allegedly happened in the 2000s. Fuentes performed with Pierce the Veil during a live stream in April 2020, but after fans asked about his presence in the video, band members confirmed he wasn't involved with current projects. They haven't announced who will replace him at When We Were Young. Oh, I forgot about When We Were Young. That's what sparked this whole Nashville scene article. And I think sparked a lot of the conversation about Warp Tour and about the emo bands because, you know, we do talk a lot about how rappers 
are accused of sexual assault and how mm-hmm. rock stars, but the emo guys really have been able to just kind of be like, no, yeah. we ha- we're brokenhearted too, girls. Right. Yeah. They've been able to just kind of step back into obscurity and have their little like niche stand, you know, millennials that will go buy their dumb shit and go see them at the mall. Now we get to brand new. And like I said, this was the first one where I was kind of like, wait, what? Oh, Lord. Were you a brand new fan? I was. I was more Taking Back Sunday, but like their song 60 times 60, I think it's called. Yes, yeah. 60 times 7, whatever oh, it's called. This is, gonna, is this going to like make my stomach hurt? This, this is really, really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And his statement almost makes me want want to punch a wall. Okay. Because I was going to shorten it up, guys. I know this is a lot of just reading and talking and not really blind items, but his statement reading that through made me furious. All right. So in 2017, former guitar tech Brian Diaz made a post on Facebook asking why people weren't coming forward with allegations about lead singer Jesse Lacey. A few women came forward and this specific woman commented, and again, this is on a public forum. So I I give this woman so much praise and credit because this is scary. She said, yes, he solicited nudes from me starting when I was 15 and he was 24. Manipulated the hell out of me. Demanded specific poses slash settings slash clothing. Demeaned me and made it clear that my sexuality was the only thing I had to offer. He knew what he was doing was shitty, so he wouldn't touch me until I was 19. I should have known better by then, but he screwed me up so much psychologically that I still wanted his approval. It fucked me up to the point that I still have nightmares and wake up in a sweat. I still break down and have panic attacks when people play brand new in a bar. Jesse Lacey is a piece of shit. Oh, and yes, he made me watch him masturbate on Skype. Apparently, that's a common thing with sexual predators. I took screenshots at some point. They're probably on a computer in my basement if I ever really wanted to rehash my past. Can we just talk for a quick second now that you've just read that about the way that the internet, you know, the internet feels so lawless now, right? Like it feels like the Mm -hmm. Wild West. Obviously, when we were younger, I mean, I guess it just is worse and worse the further back you go. But when we were younger, it was particularly dark because like you could just literally do anything. And our pictures, like my friends and I would take extremely inappropriate, like MySpace pictures and stuff and post them online. And everybody, listen, teenagers send each other nude photos if they have access to cameras. It just is what it is, mm-hmm. whether it's 2023 or 2002. And the trading of young kids photos online was so easy. You could be underage and just post nude pictures. And what's so insane is I graduated in 2009 and this may have been a year or two after I graduated and I got a random text of a high school girl naked on a bed from like someone who was still in high school. And I was like, why the fuck are you sending me? Like, I don't want this. Like, who are you, young lady? Yeah. People will just be like, oh, look at this picture. Giant text thread. It'll go to a whole school. Not to mention the, which we should do an episode on this, but like the, is anyone up of it all? A lot of us millennials have basically underage nude photos on the internet. That's Mm. just the, that's the, uh, that's the fact of the matter. I mean, chat roulette. 
cat roulette. Oh my God. The dirty. Yep. You know? And on MySpace, you could message anybody and they could be anybody. You know, you could be talking to someone who I think is Troy and it's a 75 year old dude. (laughs) Right. And there's nobody report to you. You like tell Tom that somebody is harassing you or something. There was nobody to report to. Like there was nothing that would be done at all back in the day. No protection. So eventually he did reply with a statement and this is a long one. Uh, Kelly has warned me that it's really gross. I haven't pre-read it. So this is his long statement. It's it's just like such a notes app apology. Right. Like no meaning, no heart. Or like nothing. ruining people's lives. Yeah. Sorry, kids. Yeah. He said, in an effort to address recent events and the public conversation currently happening, I feel it is important to make a clear and personal statement. The actions of my past have caused pain and harm to a number of people. And I want to say that I'm absolutely sorry. I do not stand in defense of myself, nor do I forgive myself. I was selfish, narcissistic, and insensitive in my past, and there are a number of people who have had to shoulder the burden of my failures. I apologize for the hurt I've caused, and I hope to be able to take the correct actions to earn forgiveness and trust. Early on in my life, I developed a dependent and addictive relationship with sex. I was scared of it, ashamed, and unwilling or unable to admit it. And so it grew into a constant and terrible problem. Years ago, after admitting my habits and cheating on my then soon-to-be wife, I began to approach my problem in a serious way. I entered professional treatment, both in group therapy and individual counseling, and revealed the realities of what a terrible place I had gotten into in my life and what a terrible impact my actions had on people. Lust, sex, love, and arousal were coping tools for me, and I returned to them repeatedly. I detached my own feelings and emotions from most of my sexual interactions. I hid or lied from my behavior to escape reproach. I was a habitual cheater. I have been unfaithful in many, if not most of my relationships, including the relationship with my wife, who has with all her might, patience and grace, tried to hold our marriage together, despite having to endure the pain of the revelations of my past. It is heart-wrenching that the most important changes in my life have come at the expense of others. I'm sorry for how I have hurt people, mistreated them, lied and cheated. I'm sorry for ignoring the way in which my position, status, and power as a member of a band affected the way people viewed me or the approach of their interactions with me. I am sorry for how often I have not afforded women the respect, support, and honesty that they deserve, and which is their right. Women have the right to honesty and respect. I believe in that. I believe in the equality and autonomy of it all, but in my life, I've been more of a detriment to these ideals and an advocate. I'm working to shed all my narcissism and my self-obsession into better. In sobriety, I've changed my life and my mind in real important ways. I have also revealed the truth of my behavior to myself and to others. I do not have words to express the patience and help my wife has offered me. I love my family with an intensity and a realness that I have not felt before. And as a husband and a father, I've been granted the opportunity to wake up each day with the intent to serve my family and the people around me and to feel for the first time that I have purpose. The fact remains that none of us get to pull a wall up between who we are and who we were. I need to earn forgiveness. Concepts like repentance, compassion, and love are made real through actions. It is through my actions that I need to prove change. I hope I can show humility 
and the pain I have caused people can heal. I am not above approach and no one should be. Jesse Lacey. Good God. I mean, that sounds, you know, on TikTok where people are talking about that, that like, I don't know if you've seen, there's like this new technology where it can just like, you pipe, type stuff in and it just like does it for you. Like, oh yeah, I hate that thing. That's where he, that's like what he used to make that statement. He said, write me an apology for sexual assault, enter, and then it did it. Like that was absolute jargon and bullshit. And so like to be making a statement about being a narcissist and self-absorbed, but then make the entire ancient scroll statement about you is insane. I'm sorry to my wife and only my wife and to myself. She's been so patient during my rapes and assaults. Like, sir. I didn't realize being in this band put me in a position of power. Sure you fucking didn't. Right. I'm sorry I used that power for darkness. Like, get the fuck over yourself. I mean, I think that might be one of the worst apologies I've ever read. Yeah, because it was so long, but it said nothing. No, it just said he used sex because he was a narcissist, but he's not a narcissist anymore. Right. So then that's very clear. So he lives in East Nashville. Off to All Time Low. Remembering Sunday by All Time Low might be one of my favorite songs in general. I never became an All Time Low girl. They're a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. So I somehow couldn't find a Tumblr account dedicated to All Time Low, which I thought was shocking. But one thing I remember specifically about them is the lead singer was like, allegedly hooking up with a very young Demi Lovato. Oh, yes. Remember, Demi was like, I got a tattoo in the back of a tour bus on Warp Tour. Oh, shit. I forgot. Demi was a Warp Tour girl. She was. And Demi does represent that later period of Warp Tour, like the 2010, 11, 12 era Warp Tour. Wow. I completely forgot about that. Now, allegedly, she got it on the back of All Time Lowe's bus. Oof. Can you imagine a young Demi Lovato loose at Warp Tour? I can't imagine an older Demi Lovato loose at Warp Tour. True. That's true. Any, any Demi, really. But Demi was like target demographic. Like, obviously, Demi has so many things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I forgot. It's so weird because, like, to me, it's like I view Demi as, like, a child still, even though, obviously, Demi isn't a child. And it's weird to think that we were going to Warped Tour so many years prior and that this stuff was still going on for so long. A hundred percent. You know? But there are a lot of pictures of her in the lead singer of All Time Low, if you guys want to take a quick little Google. But basically, all I can find about them other than that, and this is from The Guardian, from 2021, October 2021, a woman posted on TikTok claiming that an unnamed famous pop punk act had invited her on their tour bus when she was just 13. She alleged inappropriate behavior, including attempts to, quote, take my bra off for their nasty collection and that they offered me beers. So one thing I've heard about a lot of emo bands, I don't know if you have, Troy, that they will just keep like poster boards of pictures of breasts and Mm -hmm. what they'll do is like check off if they see you know breasts that look like this picture in the crowd just check it off Mm -hmm. or they'll take pictures of it in the crowd and add it to a poster board that's like side stage 
Yeah, I've heard a lot of the a lot of the younger women who have come forward and said that they had, you know, interactions with these guys will say that they showed like the band members showed them those poster boards or like whatever, you know, like collages that they had on their phones or like like they were really proud to show like, look, all these other girls have done it. Yeah. So you should do it. Mm -hmm. And so that goes along with all time low, allegedly, of course. And then on the 25th of October, an anonymous woman accused Barakat of sexual assault while she was a minor beginning in 2011 when she was just 15. And she claimed that the abuse continued during the group's 2011 tour and following tours. She alleged that in 2016, another member of All Time Low witnessed her being sexually assaulted and claimed that the abuse continued until she was 21. This was All Time Low's reply. When a TikTok video gained traction a few weeks ago, alluding to inappropriate behavior within our camp, we chose not to respond because of the glaring inconsistencies in the story and the apparent reluctance to mention us by name. We felt that a response would have elevated and escalated an outright lie, and in doing so, robbed actual victims of abuse of their very real and very important collective voice. It is with that in mind that we have to state with outright certainty that what is being said about us is completely and utterly false. The group said that they would be investigating the sources of these false allegations and seeking legal resource. They affirmed their commitment to standing with victims. We have only ever wanted to cultivate a nature of culture around our shows and band that is welcoming, healthy and safe. They added, but we cannot and will not fuel or amplify lies that only cloud and distort the true stories of those who need to be heard and represented. It's always a crazy thing when abusers in their statement will say like, I mean, I guess it's just classic victim blaming, but they'll be like, you're taking away from real victims and we love victims so much and we love giving victims voices. So you're such a bad person for like taking that away. Because you're not a victim. Mm-hmm. You're a liar. Other you're people getting gaslit. Like, right. I know. So yeah, that was all I could find on them. Boys like girls. I was really shocked there weren't any blinds about Martin Johnson because Enti constantly, constantly, constantly talks about how this is the relationship that really messed up Taylor Swift. He said publicly, people think it's John Mayer. It's actually Martin Johnson. He even claims that Dear John is directed at Martin Johnson rather than John Mayer. And someone on TikTok actually said that they think her song Should Have, Would Have, Could Have is about Martin rather than John. I couldn't find much else about Boys Like Girls. I know Martin has been open about, you know, he got really heavy into drugs, but now he's clean. He's a songwriter now. But Boys Like Girls had a big moment and he was even dating Ashley Tisdale and I could not find one blind item about those two. So do people, is that only just like a blind item thing that people think Taylor, that those songs are about Taylor or do like her fans think that too? I think most people are so just like John Mayer. Yeah. Because it's a story to make sense of. Mm -hmm. And this guy is like barely famous. Right. And there were like pictures of her escalate outside his house in Nashville, like Mm -hmm. things like that. That would make more sense, though. I just feel like Dear John being about John Mayer is way, way too on the nose. Mm -hmm. It's way too obvious. It's like naming a song Dear Harry. Right. It's just too obvious. One thing I was surprised about, nothing on All American Rejects. I don't know, something about Tyson Ritter. I was kind of like, there's got to be something about him. And I couldn't find anything. 
that makes me happy because I was a real all-American rejects girl. So that makes me happy, at least, in this extremely dark episode. <laughs> hmm. So now we get on Blood on the Dance Floor. I will say this isn't something that I was super familiar with before this episode. But as we said, we saved the worst for last. So this is really, 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 really bad. Yeah. What was your knowledge? You said you, like at the beginning of this episode, you talked about this. So you've known about this, of course. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that I was ever a fan of Jeffree Star, but I was like, I was such a MySpace girl that Jeffree Star just felt like such a part of my everyday life. Mm -hmm. So when I got older and then Jeffree Star became a YouTube sensation, I said this on Dunzo once, like it was my realization that I was like old. Like that was really like a big moment for me because people didn't know Jeffree Star as a MySpace person. They knew Jeffree as a makeup person. And I was like, oh shit. So that means that none of these people know that Jeffree's like crazy, you know? And then it, people were just slowly discovering his videos. A lot of teenagers were going back in his archive and finding old videos of the old Jeffree Star and being shocked by it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so old that these people are discovering Jeffree Star is like deranged. So I was very aware of the Davi Vanity stuff, more specifically Jesse Slaughter, who I believe now is non-binary. But yeah, I, I was like, gripped by the Jesse Slaughter stuff. Like I remember watching those bullying videos and stuff and just being like, this poor kid is going to kill themselves. Honestly, I'm actually like excited to hear your, I know it sounds sick, but I'm excited to hear your take on this because again, this was all very new for me. Yeah. So the first thing I found was on medium.com and Jeffree Star started tweeting, I'm going to speak the truth till I die. We saw blood on the dance floor, Davi, bring underage girls to his hotel room and do sexual things, 100% illegal. And these tweets are from 2010, just so people know. Jeffrey continued, I no longer support blood on the dance floor music and how disgusting Davi is. Touching children and enjoying the attention is evil. Fuck off, sicko. He also said, being on tour with that child fucker has made me see the truth. I regret ever doing a song with that pig. RIP, because you'll never be me. If you support that piece of shit, then unfollow me because you're supporting child molestation. Davi is the lowest worthless scum I've ever met. You know, this is where things with Jeffree Star get really confusing for a lot of people because Jeffrey will act as a martyr and act like he's like saving the day and that he's a truth teller. And he is like, you can't deny that Jeffree Star speaks like some really, really hard truths on the internet that a lot of people won't. But then Jeffrey will leave out his own participation in that stuff and act like the whole time he was just this helpless victim watching all this horrible stuff go down around him and couldn't do anything. And Jeffree Star took part in it. Jeffree Star, there are videos of Jeffree Star on Dobby Vanity's tour bus with kids, making wow. fun of kids being on the bus. Videos of Jeffree Star sucking people's dicks in front of underage kids on that bus too. Like, so it's like, what is the difference? Like, why are you so much better than these people that you toured with? Jeffree Star also toured with them. Right. You knew what they were doing. Like, if Dobby Vanity was somebody who was like open about pedophilia and was like, I should be allowed to date underage girls. Like he bragged about it on the internet. So Jeffrey knew 
before the tour and then randomly, I don't know. It's just very odd. Do you think it's because he's like out ahead of it? That's why he thinks like, no, yeah. no, no. I'm out ahead of this. Mm-hmm. I think like, he thinks if he shoots the gun first, then he'll win. Like, like you said, if he's ahead of the conversation, he can control the narrative. And that usually works for Jeffrey. And this is one of the times that it really tripped Jeffree Star up and it caused him to go into a bit of seclusion because he couldn't talk his way out of this. So Davi Vanity was arrested back in 2009 for allegedly statutory raping a 15-year-old girl, but she was bullied and pressured into retracting her statement. And there's actually a Tumblr page called The Truth About Davi Vanity that has all of his allegations there. It's actually super fucking brutal to read um i'll put that on patreon and in our instagram stories again but heavy heavy stuff i did not feel comfortable reading most of it yeah especially like on the podcast i totally get that i agree this is a quote from ashley costello she's the lead singer from new year's day and she spoke out against davi vanity in a now deleted post She said, I've never met a bigger bully in my life. I've never felt so uncomfortable. I have never been physically attacked and abused until now. I've seen girls cry because they have been taken advantage of and made to do things they didn't want to do. I've seen horrible and disgusting things done by a man on a throne that does not deserve to be there. Showing your ass to kids, having kids grab your dick on stage, telling 12 year olds you're going to come on their faces, making derogatory comments to me on stage, hitting fans on the head with equipment, telling my friends they are band tours on stage because they won't say it into the mic that his cum tastes good, Uh, watching the cops get called on tour because he was with someone under the age limit. This is just a tiny, 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 tiny portion of what I had to watch every night, not to mention what was done to me and done to so many other girls. It's a fucking disgrace. It's disgusting. I remember Ashley Costello because, like I said, a little, a couple years ago or last year, I believe, I think it may be two years ago now, uh, this was all coming to light. Everybody was talking about this happening. And again, we are going to do a full episode on this because it's so much info, but Chris Hansen ended up getting involved because Chris Hansen went rogue and was trying to out this story on his own on YouTube. So Chris Hansen on YouTube started interviewing victims of Dobby Vanity outside of a network or just like live stream interviews. And oh, my God, what year was that? I want to say it was two years ago. It was 20. It was during quarantine, which, yeah, I remember all that happening now during just being locked inside. But so Chris Hansen took this on as, as his own project. He started a GoFundMe to raise money to like start a campaign to get this thing more public and get documentaries made and shit. And he interviewed all of the victims. I remember Ashley talking about a lot of the crazy shit that she experienced on tour with them. But this got as big as Chris Hansen interviewing all these people, including Jeffree Star. Wow. And Jeffree actually, his Chris Hansen video almost ended him because he was very open, very candid about all the stuff that Davi did, but he excluded everything that he did. So then everybody was like taking that information and piecing what he was saying with actual video and photos and being like, wait, you're telling all these stories, but girl, you were there. And there's pictures of you 
or even stuff as simple as Jeffrey Bean. Like, you know, I've always been sober. I was considered straight edge and I've never had a, a sip of alcohol in my life. So I was always sober during these experiences. And then you watch videos of Jeffrey taking shots and being drunk with these kids on the bus. Like, it's like, where, where's the truth, you know? So then there's also the Jesse Slaughter of it all. Jesse Slaughter is very famous for this viral cyberbullying thing. And this really, really viral, I would say one of the, the most viral MySpace era videos of basically Davi Vanity's fans calling Jesse Slaughter's house over and over and over and over and over, ordering, you know, 200 pizzas to their house. And it really was like destroying their family. And this is a child who was 11 years old when this all started. And Davi Vanity told his fans to bully this child because he didn't want to have sex with them anymore. And like basically tried to get this kid to like kill himself. So this is Jesse Slaughter cyberbullying case was an American criminal case that revolved around an 11 year old at the time, uh, Jessica Leinhart, um, who was assigned female at birth, but like we said earlier is non-binary. They now go by Damien Leinhart. I think I might be saying their last name wrong. Leon Hart. It's, you know, still beyond the blinds. In 2018, they accused Vanity of child sex abuse and rape in a post on social media, on Tumblr, and alleged the relationship uh, when Leinhart was 10 years old is when they started talking. One year later, an additional 21 women accused Vanity of sexual assault, child molestation, and rape, with many of them saying the attacks took place while under the age of consent. So if any of you have never seen, I mean, I hate directing people to this video, it's like ruined this kid's life. But for context, you can look it up, Jesse Slaughter on YouTube. It'll pop up. It's a video of them trying to defend themselves online from all these people telling them to kill themselves because of Dobby Vanity. And then their dad comes in and doesn't know that they're on video and is screaming at this kid because their family is like going through absolute hell. Mm-hmm. And everybody made fun of their dad for like being upset about what was going on. So then he became an, a meme and he became like one of the bigger memes from MySpace, screaming about his child being raped by this guy. And we wow. made fun of this kid. Like we bullied this kid and wanted them to kill themselves. So that was a lot of other articles that I read about, like the emo fan base. Sure is this cult-like mentality. Yeah. And just like we said at the beginning, these were the first stands. Yeah. We had no problem telling somebody, no, we really want you to die. Yeah. You really need to kill yourself. Here's the ways you should do it. You should walk into traffic. That was always one. Yeah. And like, go slit your wrist. But that was something you would just say to people. Yeah. And, And it was sick. Even the kids who were cutting... People mm-hmm. would say like fucked up things like, oh, maybe it'll slip one day. Instead yeah. of being like, hey, do you need to talk to someone? Right. Or like, she doesn't really cut. She just cuts for attention. Attention. Isn't Everything attention? everyone did for it was for attention. Mm-hmm. She only cuts so people can see it. Like that's the kind of shit we would say. Aren't you guys glad we did this episode? Because we're yeah. about to get to the worst fucking part of it. Oh, Lord. So we're going to talk about the lost prophets. And this is the ultimate trigger warning. I genuinely can't trigger warning this section enough. 
Right. So this is from medium.com. In November 2013, lead singer Ian Watkiss pleaded guilty to attempted rape and sexual assault of a child under 13. Quote, Watkins also admitted conspiring to rape a child, three counts of sexual assault involving children, seven involving taking, making, or possessing indecent images of children, and one of possessing an extreme pornographic image involving a sex act on an animal, the BBC said. The singer had, on two different occasions, filmed himself having sex with 16-year-old girls, worse he had attempted to rape an 11-month-old baby, which he described as being mega lols, L-O-L-Z. Information regarding the allegations about Watkins might have been available as his ex-girlfriend told police she had attempted to raise the alarm on several occasions dating all the way back to 2008. Holy shit. And that's crazy because Lost Profits is such like a respected band. Huge. Yeah. Wow. That is, oh, I feel sick to my stomach. Oh, my God. In the lulls with the Z. That's the worst part. Oh, shit. I don't even know what to say. I, I feel queasy. I'm glad he's in jail. Yeah. And, you know, We've talked a lot about these stories this whole episode. And, you know, I know it's hard to come out and talk about things that happened. And, you know, as a 31 year old, you look back on things that happened when you were 14, 15, and you didn't know it was wrong then. But it's okay to share your stories if you have them. And to the people who are like, well, it's been 15 years, shut the fuck up. Right. Because you might not even realize something bad happened until you hear someone else's story. 1,000%. Like I said, I I did not register a lot of this stuff as bad until people started talking about it. Right. I still had that regressed, like, teenage, whatever, like, like that it was cool until people started remind. Like, I had to be reminded that I, that we were underage and that I wasn't, like, an adult or, like, in college. Like, I was 14 and 15 doing all that stuff. Right. Even 17, I got invited to a tour bus and went on it. And I didn't drink at the time, but all my friends were. Right. And it was kind of like, these guys are like old 20s. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, why do they think we're funny? Yeah. Like, why? They know we're not supposed to drink. I was, (laughs) I was really good, like, goody two shoes, but (laughs) they know we're not supposed to drink. Yeah. I mean, I just, I feel like there's so much shame around the victims specifically. And that really fucking sucks because we need to believe people more and we need to stop questioning why it took them so long to come forward when there was a 10 year old who was, you know, raped by someone who was on warp tour and was told to kill themselves over and over and over. Yeah. I really, I will say that I'm really the Dobby vanity stuff all coming out was a real blessing because it really opened up the floodgates were so, I mean, like they said, 21 women then came forward. It was like one of those Bill Cosby mm-hmm. kind of moments where it was like the floodgates just fucking, you know, and it was amazing to see all these people come together and like validate each other, you know, mm-hmm. like even outside of the people not involved, like just listeners validating it, but to see people being like, I know that that happened because I was in the room and I saw so-and-so, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, oh, this is just really sad. 
definitely one of this might be one of our heaviest episodes ever. I agree. And and I'm curious to see if, you know, other guitar techs, other drum techs, other people on the staff are kind of like, hey, if you guys like we will give you this platform. I give that brand new guitar tech a lot of credit for being like, here's my post and I will help you. Right. Because unfortunately he didn't help them back then, but now he can or whatever, you know. Yeah. And like you said, anybody listening to this who has like any kind of story, it gets really, 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 really fucking scary to talk about it. And for whatever reason, it's like, it's like embarrassing, even though you didn't do anything. Like it feels embarrassing to talk about stuff that happened to you as a kid, even though you had no control, you know, and people don't ever talk about that aspect of it. It's like the shame. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah, just remember like your voice matters. Your stories are important. And this was definitely a heavy episode, but maybe it can help some people along the way. Yeah. I'm glad that we did it. And I guess consider it a part one. Yeah. I, I'm I'm sure we're going to do this again. Like I said, we're going to do a full Jeffrey episode and there's so many Warped Tour bands and emo bands to talk about. This is literally just scratching the surface. So, yeah. So thank you guys for listening. And thank you for also like allowing us a space where we can talk about things like this. Yeah. And be a little clunky along the way. Like we're not specialists. We're not therapists. We're not doctors. We're not lawyers. We are two idiots with microphones and we just lived through this time. So you know, we're like figuring it out too. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.